Good to see you guys again. Um, I want to introduce you guys to somebody that, that, that wasn't with me last time. Uh, my son Marcus is here. Marcus is 12. Stand up, Marcus. You guys say hello to Marcus. Yeah. And I also want to say, I don't, I don't know if you guys have been praying. I, I really don't because uh, last time I was here, the Lakers were in the playoffs. <laughs> you guys weren't praying in tongues, were you? Okay, all right, well, okay, all right, all right, all right. So we're going to pick up our discussion in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and so the way I roll is I'm going to read it, um, and then we're going to walk through it verse by verse. And so uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Got it? Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You have the King James Version. You probably have some more there. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It's not in the ESV. That portion is a lot of the earliest manuscripts. You don't see it a lot. Uh, history of the church until a little bit later. But nonetheless, we've read Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Let's pray. Lord, hearts are open. Minds are receptive. We ask that you would speak to us. Help us to get underneath your word. We don't want to stand above your word in scrutiny and judgment, but we want to get underneath your word, ability, recognizing and realizing that we're needy. You to speak to us, do that through your eternal, errant, infallible word. So we thank you for the opportunity to sit under it now. In the mighty, matchless, and majestic name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. So last Sunday, if you were here, we walked through verses 5 through 8 of Matthew chapter 6, and we learned the characteristics of a hypocritical prayer and the difference between praying to uh, express to God and praying to impress others. Uh, we also talked about the necessity of honesty and transparency before God in our times of prayer. And we covered some, some, some very practical yet uh, important stuff. And today, we're going to examine what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And actually, that title is, is, is sort of a misnomer uh, because of the verses that we're walking through this morning actually um, give us Jesus instructing his disciples on how to pray. Okay? So it's, it's not Jesus actually praying himself. If you really want to see like the true Lord's Prayer, you should look at John 17. All right? uh, John 17 is commonly referred to as the high priestly prayer. And it's there we can observe Jesus literally praying to the Father uh, purposefully and passionately. Um, now, however, what, what, we, what we just read in Matthew 6, 9-13 is still uh, immensely helpful uh, because it's a beautiful example and a pattern, if you will, of how to pray. So it gives us the basic ingredients that, um, 
that, that should go into prayer. Now, to ensure that we adhere to the wisdom of verse 7 of Matthew 6, where Jesus says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So to ensure that, 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 that we obey that admonition, I need to let you know that the Lord's Prayer is not a prayer that we should just mindlessly recite back to God. Right? 16th century reformer Martin Luther said that, that, that we should pray this prayer every single day. And that's okay. It's, it's beneficial even. But this shouldn't become something that you just sort of say like a, like a Christian zombie and you kind of roll your eyes up in the back of your head and recite this in like a mindless and meaningless uh, way. Um, it, it's an example. God is giving us, a, Jesus is giving us a pattern of how we should be praying. And Jesus uh, starts the example in verse 9 by saying, pray then like this. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now the beginning of, of, of verse 9 here uh, orients us to who we're communicating with in the action of prayer. In the very beginning here in verse 9, we quickly understand that in prayer, we're communicating with a being that's both imminent and transcendent. Imminent means that, that, that God is knowable. He's perceivable. He's, he's graspable. Right? Transcendent means that God is outside of humanity's full experience, perception, or grasp. Yahweh is, is transcendent by nature. He chooses because he's good and he's loving and he's gracious. He chooses to be imminent and condescend. And, and we see both here mentioned in verse 9 when Jesus says, Our Father, Father. What an amazing way to approach the God of the universe. As Father, Abba. This beautiful reality that as a result of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, as a result of trusting in Him alone, we have been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. And now we can approach the God of the universe, not just as judge, right? Not just as, as sovereign, but we can approach Him as Father. It's, it's intimate. It's tender. It's this reality that, look, if there isn't anybody else in this world that cares, when you go to God in prayer, you're going to somebody that you love, and that loves you. As a matter of fact, the reason why you love him is because he first loved you, the Apostle John says. This is beautiful transcendence. This is God, the wonderful, amazing, sovereign, all-powerful God of the universe, choosing to condescend to sinners as a result of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and relate to all of us who trust in Christ as a father. That's his beautiful eminence. But then we see his transcendence in the very next part. Hallowed be your name. Or hallowed is, is, to, is to sanctify. It's like, like we're saying, 
Let your name be sanctified. This, this portion of the prayer is two things. Can be two things. This can be a declaration. And it should be a declaration. This is an opportunity in the prayer moment. After we recognize and realize that God is Father, we relate to Him very tenderly. We realize that, that, that even though He's our Father, He deserves our worship. He deserves our adoration. So this is a wonderful moment in prayer to declare, God, you are unlike any other being. You are holy. You are separate from all of creation. There's a beautiful song that I sang growing up in church, and it simply says, there is none like you. And that's what holiness is. Holiness is not just moral perfection. We know that God is holy, holy, holy. He's morally perfect in all his ways. But holiness is also distinction. It's otherness. It's separateness from all creation. And so prayer is an awesome opportunity to acknowledge that, yes, he's father, imminent, but he's holy, separate. And, and, and in the face of a God that is transcendent, as creatures, the rightful response is to just worship him. That's a great opportunity to declare you're holy. But this portion of the prayer can also be a request. Hallowed be your name. Let your name be sanctified. Let your name be treated as holy in my own personal life. Let your name be treated as holy in my relationships, right? Let your name be treated as holy on my college campus. Let your name, your character, your attributes, let, let, let your, your being be treated as holy in my community, in Congress, in the White House. What an amazing prayer to pray for the whole earth to recognize the holiness of Yahweh. Let your name be treated and regarded as holy. So, so here, right at the very beginning, we're, we're seeing in prayer this awesome opportunity to approach the God of the universe as our loving, attentive Father, but also as the holy, sovereign, transcendent God of the universe. Jesus goes on in verse 10 giving instructions. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now, his Jewish disciples would have been very, very familiar with this notion of the coming kingdom. Right? Because the, the, the Jews looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, and the, 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 uh, in, in a lot of ways, many of them believe this, this political kingdom that he would implement that would even overthrow the rule of the Romans. And so this notion of the kingdom coming would have been familiar to his Jewish disciples. Um, but Jesus, I hope we can all agree, is the Messiah. All right? Uh, God in the flesh who came to usher in the kingdom of God in his incarnation. Beautiful baby born in Bethlehem who ultimately told uh, his mother when he was at the temple 
uh, just teaching and doing the will of the Lord that he had been sent to do the will of the Father, like Jesus was all about preaching the kingdom. Right? And so we understand the kingdom of God to be more than just sort of the coming of the Messiah. That happened. But the, the, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of our God in every single place and in every single domain. It is God being regarded as in control over everything. And so I hope you're, you're noticing as we're discussing the countercultural nature of this prayer. Right? 21st century sensibilities says, um, hey, I'm the, I'm the captain of my ship. Uh, I'm in control. I'm in control of everything. I'm in control of my own body. I'm in control of my own destiny. I'm in control of everything. But this portion of the prayer forces us as followers of Jesus Christ to say, Lord, we're, we're willingly removing ourselves off the throne. We're, 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 we're ready to cast down our own crowns at the feet of Jesus, who is the King and Sovereign, Lord of all creation. Your kingdom come. Lord, I want you to rule and reign. You already are king. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. But oh, that men would see and savor Jesus as king. And this is the portion of the prayer that we can ask and invite his kingdom, his domain, his reign to be extended and established everywhere. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Look at this part. On earth, as it is in heaven. This is a beautiful portion of the Lord's Prayer that, that, that should detach all of us from being strictly otherworldly in our faith and in our approach to Christianity. What do I mean by that? Um, yes, God cares immensely about souls. But God doesn't just care immensely about souls. He cares immensely about all creation. He cares immensely not just about people getting saved and dying and going to heaven, but he also cares immensely about this earth that he created, said it was good, gave to human beings to steward. He cares not just about the, the, the flourishing of Christians, but he cares about the flourishing of all humanity and of all creation. So when, when, when this portion of the prayer is instructed, it's, it's this reality that we, we, we don't, in our prayers and in our Christianity, have the right to be strictly otherworldly. We also have to care for this world too. We want to see God's will, God's reign, Reflected not just in our little souls, but we want to see it reflected in Congress, in the White House, in our neighborhoods. That's why we care about those on the margins. 
That's why we care about the poor and disenfranchised. That's why we care about the oppressed. That's why we care about the orphan, the foreigner, the prisoner. That's why we don't just say, preach the gospel and nothing else. No. Yes, we preach the gospel, but then we engage in the work that the gospel requires to see that human beings flourish from the womb to the tomb. Because we want to see his kingdom come, his will be done here, now, on earth. Yes, we're looking for a new earth and we're looking for the new Jerusalem to come down from heaven. We are waiting on our Lord Jesus, but we are not waiting on our Lord Jesus as passive observers that just gather in church every Sunday, sing little ditties, and go out and make no impact upon the culture. But we want to see the earth reflect his kingdom. So we, do, we say this in prayer, and then we actually live what we pray. Continues. Verse 11. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is, of course, in this portion of the prayer, hearkening back to the Exodus story. The Israelites were in the wilderness and they needed, they needed food. And so God supernaturally provided them this, this stuff called manna from heaven. This, 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 this like supernatural weird bread. Okay? Uh, but there was a caveat. They couldn't, they couldn't store this bread. It was like God provided it, but it's not like they could, they could like, like stockpile it and, 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 and make sure they had like three, four, five months worth of it. It would spoil. And so every single day, they had to get their portion of manna for that day. And when it ran out, guess what they had to do? They had to trust God that God would give more manna the next day. And that God would give more manna the next day. And that God would give more manna the next day. And so when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, he's instructing in prayer for the disciple of Christ to recognize that Jesus is our provision. He gives us what we need. We come to him. And this is not just for food. I know that we see the word bread there, but we can't just relegate that word bread to, to, to literal food. Yes, it's that, but it's so much more. But we come to Jesus for all that we need. We come to Jesus not as self-sufficient, strong, independent, self-existent creatures. We come to Jesus needy. We come to Jesus as beggars. We come to Jesus saying, Lord, if you don't give me strength today, then I won't have any. Lord, if you don't help me today, I won't have any help. This is what's meant by give us this day our daily bread. And, 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 and notice a couple of things. Number one, this instruction here is communal. It's not just give me this day. It's give us. So there's this reality in this, in this instruction, in this portion here in verse 11, that, that, that when we come to the Lord in prayer, we're not just worried about our own sustenance and our own needs, but we're part of a family. We're part of a community. So while you're, Lord, while you're giving me my daily bread, give Devin his daily bread. 
and give my neighbor her daily bread and give my professor, even though I'm not necessarily fond of him, his daily bread. Give us. That's, not, that's, 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 that's number one. Number two, it is meant to show us as disciples that, that, that we are utterly dependent on Jesus and his provision. Because if I get his bread, his provision this day, then guess what I have to do tomorrow? Still go to have, I still have to go to him and get provision. What am I going to have to do the day after that? Still have to go to him and get provision. So what if I, what if I get a six-figure job? All right? Doesn't matter. Very next day, I still have to go to him for provision. What if I graduate magna cum laude and, and everybody's just applauding me? Doesn't matter. Still have to go to him the next day for provision. What if I get the, 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 the job, the, the, the office, and everything that my heart is asking for? Doesn't matter. Very next day, I have to go to him for provision. It's, it's, it's this, this reality that every single day, I don't care what my title is, I don't care what my bank account says, I am needy, and only he can provide what I need. So give us this day our daily bread. And then Jesus continues in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So in this portion of the prayer, Jesus is instructing his disciples to acknowledge not just their neediness, because you do know that neediness isn't necessarily sinful. Okay, uh, so you, you need to acknowledge your neediness, but you also need to acknowledge your sinfulness. Um, debtors, this idea that we have a deficit and we owe an authority that will eventually knock on our door and say, Annie up, right? And, and, and this reality that, that uh, if I don't have something transferred into my account to pay this debt, then this authority figure can ultimately do something that could be very uncomfortable and that could ultimately make life very difficult for me. So this is an acknowledgement that, that, that look, uh, I, I'm a sinner uh, and I need your grace, Lord. Now, the good news is that if you... If you trust in Jesus and believe in the gospel, his righteousness has already been transferred to your account. Right? You, you, you come to the Father as someone that's accepted and received, not because you've earned it and deserved it, but because you're covered in the shed blood of Jesus by faith. You trust in him alone, and so you've been forgiven upon that basis. So why ask forgiveness? Because the act of forgiveness, even as a Christian, is still an acknowledgement of the reality that, yes, even though I'm forgiven positionally and you have washed all of my sins away underneath the blood of Jesus, uh, I, I, I'm still prone to wonder. Right? If you have the King James Version, instead of using the word uh, debtors, I think it uses the word trespasses. Trespasses when you go too far. Trespass is when you uh, encroach uh, into territory that you don't belong in. So you're, so you're coming as a sinner in the prayer moment. 
Forgive me for my sinfulness, for my debts, for my, for my trespasses, for when I've gone too far. But hold on. There's another part of this. Is that as you're seeking forgiveness for yourself, you're also thinking about all of the grudges, bitterness, the animosity, and the hatred that you may have stored up for others. So, so, so it's a baton pass. I, I, I need forgiveness. Uh, and so because I need forgiveness, I need to recognize who I need to forgive. Because it's a, it's, it's a pitiable thing for Christians who claim to be forgiven to be vindictive, bitter and angry and hateful and spiteful and calculating. This is Jesus instructing us to recognize and realize that in the same way we need forgiveness, we need to freely give. Sometimes hard, countercultural as well, because this culture says you don't need to forgive anybody, even if they ask for it. Matter of fact, if you don't feel like forgiving somebody, don't forgive them. What the culture says. Christ here is instructing something different during the prayer moment. Lay it aside. Move forward. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse, when I read verse 13, I, I, I think about Something that the psalmist wrote in Psalm 141.4. In Psalm 141, the psalmist writes, 141.4, the psalmist writes, Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. I, I, I see in this instruction in verse 13, the heart and the passion behind what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 141.4. Don't let my heart uh, incline to evil. Lead us not into temptation. Um, it's, it's, it's this reality that, uh, hey, uh, yes, I'm forgiven. And as I'm forgiven, I'm forgiving as well. Uh, but Lord, I, I need protection. I need protection from the world because the world is always after our attention, after our affection. The world wants us to conform to it rather than to conform to Christ. The world pressures us. The world pulls at us. The world seeks to take our witness and ruin our witness before a watching world. But not only... Do we have to deal with the world? But we have to deal with our own flesh. We have to deal with the reality that, that we have proclivities, we have desires, right? We have uh, ways of thinking and attitudes that don't necessarily honor God. And then if it's not the world and it's not the flesh, then there's the enemy of our souls, Satan. Oh my gosh, did he just say Satan? Yes! 
There is an enemy, an arch enemy out there that wants to see you fail. That doesn't want you to experience what Jesus talked about in John 10, 10, life and that life more abundantly. Yes, there is an adversary that attacks, that pressures. Yes, there is a such thing as spiritual warfare, right? Where, where you have to be equipped with the full armor of God in order to fend off the attacks of the enemy. In this portion of the prayer, you are, you are asking the Lord for protection. Protect me from me. Protect me from this culture. Protect me from the enemy. Because if you don't protect me, I know my heart. And I will be led in the evil. But if you protect me, then I'll be okay. So, to sum it up here, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Adoration and acknowledgement. Utilizing the prayer moment to adore your Father. To acknowledge his greatness and his transcendence. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's acquiescence. That, that is in the prayer moment, using the opportunity to submit, to surrender, to acknowledge your will is better than my will. Uh, as a matter of fact, you do know that God's will is better than our wildest dreams. That's why sometimes it's not good to say to somebody else, I want you to achieve all your dreams. No, I don't necessarily want you guys to achieve all your dreams. Okay? I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. I want you to glorify him in everything that you do. I want you to reckon him as worthy and as, as holy, and I want you to follow him wherever that leads. Give us this day our daily bread. That's an appeal for provision. I'm needy. We're needy. Provide for us. Give us what we, what we can't acquire ourselves. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's an appeal for forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's an appeal for protection. And this is the, this is the, the, the pattern. The formula. It's not meant to be some wrote religious duty you just kind of just engage in and you walk away after you say you're our father prayer all right this is jesus saying hey here here's here's how you can structure this in a way that's meaningful here's how you can structure this in a way that targets specific things that we would probably not think about as human beings and here's a here, here's a good pattern a good structure to kind of submit yourself to as you engage in this, this wonderful privilege called prayer. Again, adoration and acknowledgement. Acquiescence. Appeal for provision. Appeal for forgiveness. Appeal for protection. That's my time. I want to appreciate you and thank you so much. It's been an honor to serve here with you guys these past two weeks. And uh, hopefully, I don't know, hopefully, hopefully I'll, 
I'll have an invitation again one day, maybe. If I don't wear my 49ers watch. We'll ask the Lord about it. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Love you too, man. Would you pray for us? Yeah, absolutely. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, yeah. Hold it. Hold it. We've got to judge the prayer. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> don't. Remember, I'll, I'll preach back your words to you. Yeah. Uh, pray as one to peace God and please God and not man. So we're not judging the prayer right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Lies you tell, but thank you. <laughs> Let's join in prayer together. Father, first of all, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that discloses to us your heart, that reveals to us how we can communicate with you in a way that's meaningful. We thank you, Father, that you have given us your self-revelation in your word, and we'll hasten back to it regularly, and we'll also align ourselves around it intentionally. God, I pray that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only, that we we, we would listen to your instruction in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and we'll take it to heart, and we'll seek to implement this instruction, and we'll develop a more robust, meaningful prayer life. God, forgive us. We repent of prayerlessness. We repent of, an, of engaging in prayer as some sort of religious formalism. We, we repent in, in, for approaching prayer uh, like the Pharisees. We ask you to stir our hearts even now in this moment. Help us to understand the privilege of prayer that we actually have audience with the king. And I pray that we don't take that lightly. But every day we endeavor to seek your face, God. To commune with you as you've given us the privilege to through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So concretize and solidify all that we've heard in our minds. Help us to walk it out in a meaningful way. We honor you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, brother.